the day we moved in, our air conditioner broke. Um, and so that was like the first instance of, ah, is this a mistake? That is Lauren Morgan. She's 30 years old and she and her husband are now the new owners of a quaint home in Norwood, Massachusetts, 30 minutes south of downtown Boston. They moved in June of 2021 and... Every time something does come up, I say to my husband, like, maybe we should be renting. Like, if only we were still renting, then the landlord could deal with this. Instead, the couple decided to buy a home. And after they made an offer on this house, they took a bit of a risk to beat out the other competitors. We made the decision to waive an inspection. We have since had plumbing issues. We currently have a hole in our dining room ceiling because we just had a leak in our plumbing. Wait, there's more. In the coldest week of, of the winter, our furnace broke getting a new HVAC system. So ultimately, I think, you know, all in all, it's probably cost us around $20,000. One huge reason Morgan and her husband rushed into this home purchase is because they wanted out of the rental market. My husband and I were both so sick of being on top of other people all the time, not only with COVID, but just, you know, people being loud neighbors or disrespectful or not having control really over the space that you live in. And the Morgans, I mean, they're not unique. NPR has heard from a lot of first-time home buyers who made compromises because they were desperate to stop renting. Like Abby Colbertson in Nashville. I've rented the same apartment for 12 years in Nashville and recently got word that we are under new ownership and management and uh, rent increases going up in the past year. And take Maya Brodke from Oakland. When COVID hit, my wife owned a small business and overnight she didn't. We were living in the Bay Area at the time and my employment was stable, but without her income, we weren't going to be able to continue to afford rent there. Consider this. The pandemic created a spike in demand for housing that sent real estate prices through the roof, which means a lot of Americans could no longer afford to buy, while many of those who could are now experiencing buyer's remorse. I think we just kind of dove in head first. I think there are things we just did not consider. From NPR, I'm Elsa Chang. It's Wednesday, March 16th. It's Consider This from NPR. Okay, we'll get back to all those homeowners feeling buyer's remorse in a minute. But first, we just want to acknowledge the people who had a hard time hanging on to their homes these past two years. I think a lot of the focus for us as an organization during the pandemic was how do we support or ensure existing homeowners aren't losing their homes, particularly while their economic conditions were a bit unstable. That's Joshua Devine. He's the Director of Racial Economic Equity at the National Community Reinvestment Coalition, or NCRC. Aside from the fight to keep families in their homes, Devine's been keeping his eye on people of color who've been further squeezed out of the market during this pandemic. I do believe that the knowledge gap plays a significant role in increasing access to home ownership for people of color. There has been an increase in applicants of color in home purchase loans since 2007, but that growth has only grown about 2.4% over that time frame. 
He says that aside from the legacy of intentional housing discrimination, communities of color, specifically African-American households, run into additional barriers tied to wage stagnation and information gaps during the buying process. And he says the remedy has to include viewing all of those barriers as connected. We can't just think about housing or housing barriers just within the housing market as a siloed issue. You've got to think about how housing relates to things like workforce. It's one of those wicked, complex problems that require more of a comprehensive, kind of multi-pronged approach and strategy to overcome. For those Americans who did move during the pandemic, 80% didn't go that far. They stayed near their city or headed out to the suburbs, while others took more of a risk. I had never set foot in Texas um, until we got down here. Emily Prisoner moved more than 2,000 miles from Seattle to San Antonio, Texas. Yeah, we lived in a condo that was like um, a little over 900 square feet. And my husband and I were both working at home. So um, so uh, I would do my like Zoom meetings from our closet. <laughs> the condo was part of an old converted high school in the city. And in June of 2021, the couple decided to uproot and upgrade to a 3,000 square foot house that was being built in San Antonio. It was a little rash, to be sure, but it felt like an adventure, and they were eager to move in as soon as possible because Emily was seven months pregnant. But the supply chain slowed down through a wrench in their plans. So we brought our newborn baby home to an Airbnb, and then we moved him to four different ones. So it's like living out of suitcases, packing up a bassinet, not knowing exactly what we're going to get into. So that in itself was a regret. Emily and her husband eventually moved in, and they've got family members in the state who've been helping quite a bit. But that excitement that came with a pandemic move has been totally wearing off. It's been an adjustment. I mean, we loved Seattle. We, we miss Seattle. It, it's one of those things where it's like the pandemic skewed our perspective a little bit, too, because we were spending so much time in, indoors. COVID-19 pandemic has accelerated everything, right? Ho Jun Lee is a professor at Virginia Tech where he studies the impacts of demographics and neighborhood changes on the housing market. And he told me that a lot of factors contributed to this pandemic housing boom, like those monthly relief payments that showed up in a lot of Americans' bank accounts. Also a factor were the extremely low interest rates. So on one hand, like Fed reserves, like low interest policy, basically to support U.S. economy during the pandemic, kind of resulted in like historically low mortgage interest rate. But it was like two point something, right? That was kind of crazy compared to a year ago, two year ago. Um, that was three point five percent, even near four percent. So people thought, wow, this is really great timing to buy a home with like thirty year fixed rate, right? And on the other hand, like pandemic kind of increased the huge demand for this type of the single family house with backyard. I mean, many kind of parents having their children like doing remote learning, spending 24 hours and seven days in at their home, desperately feel like we need a backyard or a pool. Exactly. And what about the role of the high rental market? Because NPR did a call out and one of the people who responded was someone named Maya Broadkey, an educator who used to live in a one bedroom in Oakland, California with her partner. And she just said she had enough of the rent spikes and poor conditions of rental properties. 
there was this moment where I was trying to teach online and we could hear our neighbors having a screaming match next to us. And my partner's, she's working in this little crawl space underneath our apartment that literally had dirt walls. And there was just kind of this moment where we're like, we can't keep paying for this. We got to get out of here. So rental affordability crisis has been a issue for like even 1970s, 1990s. That has been an issue for many kind of renters, but now it's much more severe, if, especially after the financial crisis, because of the fact that, you know, supply of that kind of rental housing has been really just kind of stagnated, right? That, that may barely meet the demand for housing on one hand. On the other hand, there has been somewhat, you know, pent up, you know, demand for rental housing. So many millennials and young adults hit hard by the, you know, global financial crisis. And they stayed in the rental market longer than others expected. So high-income owners are stayed in the rental market that pushed up rental price for a long time period since like 2007, 2008. And that created quite substantial increases in rental prices in these days. Okay, so for the people who decide to jump into this housing market, they're seeing really low inventory. There's a lot of competition. Can you just talk about the pressure cooker situation that that creates and what a lot of people end up doing when they're making an offer on a house? I mean, they're giving up on things, right? They're waiving contingencies. It's really difficult to those first-time homebuyers who spend their like about like 20 years, 30 years as a renters to figure out you know, how much money they have to pay for, say, maintenance fees, like property tax and insurance. They, they always think about just kind of monthly mortgage payments. But actually, there are much more things to spend um, in addition to that. And, you know, there are some other costs as well in terms of, you know, upkeep and repairs. And those costs has been like soaring during the pandemic, especially, right? So, Generally, we give some advice about this kind of thing. There is kind of 1% rule of thumb. So you have to think about, you know, saving about 1% of your housing value because that's the amount of money that you will spend annually for any type of upkeep or repairs. That was Ho Jun Lee, a professor at Virginia Tech. Of course, not every homeowner is experiencing regret. NPR heard from a number of people who feel great about their decision to buy. Like Joseph Tychonovich, who relocated from Williamsburg, Virginia to South Bend, Indiana. It's been a good transition. I'd never been to South Bend before, but really love the town. It's kind of this cool, very affordable, underrated little town. Um, We were able to get a pretty nice house in a really desirable neighborhood, um, very affordably and very easy to walk to farmers markets and food co-ops and jazz clubs. And Samara Shima, who left California and bought property in Washington state. We feel really, really lucky to have gotten in on the market to actually get a house. And we think given the market situation with housing, to have a house that hits 80% of your must-haves is actually really amazing. As for Lauren Morgan and her husband, that couple we heard from at the top of this episode, the one with all of those headaches, well, they have found a silver lining. I don't know if it's cognitive dissonance, myself justifying that, like, I've had to put in all this effort now, so I must really love the house. But for me, it really is a space that I I love. And when I go home almost every day, I feel grateful that I have that space that is my own. Thank God. It's Consider This from NPR. I'm Elsa Chang.